0: Warning, this episode of Generally Famous discusses suicidal thoughts and alcoholism. Help is available. See the episode notes for details. Kia ora, Aotearoa, and welcome to Generally Famous, a Stuff podcast. I'm Simon Bridges, and every week I talk to a generally famous but always interesting guest about life, love, and what makes them tick. Today's guest, former all-black great tight head prop who's played around 450 games of professional rugby here and abroad and on top of that's a farmer, a hunter, an ironman, I've just told him he's, he's a musician, he's disputing that and we might get to that and uh, at a level a campaigner given what he's suffered. Carl Heyman. Thank you Simon, yeah thanks for having me. Hey it's really good to have you, um, welcome. Um, I know because I just asked you but you,
1: where are you living at the moment? I'm um, in New Plymouth at the moment, yep. yeah, yeah. Which is returning home. It's doing the full circle almost, yeah. I um, grew up in Open Aki <laughs> on the um, surf highway at 45 out there Crazy. on the coast. And um, yeah, life sort of took me down to Dunedin um, where I played, I don't think a lot of people associate me with Taranaki, then um, did my high schooling um, at, down in Dunedin, then overseas Um playing footy over there and then done the full circle now back in Taranaki. And Taranaki's home. Yeah. You know, like what I mean, it's a homecoming. Yeah, it is a wee bit. And I, there's something I think about the the maunga down there that uh, drags people back and holds people in. And um, I spent a lot of time in Dunedin, and Dunedin has a special place in my heart and still got a lot of mates down there. But for some reason, uh, the Naki's always felt like home. I, um
0: well, it just shows how old I am, and you're just a bit younger than me. Um, when I first saw snow, it was Mount Egmont that we went to <laughs> with um, Nelson Young. There you go, a, v- a friend of the family who lived there as a principal, a primary school principal there, and, uh, you know, it's great. Of course, now Mount uh, Taranaki. Um, I think I know as well on this. You do, right now, for a crust, you're you're chartering.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I run a... Um a 1953 uh, NLI lifeboat um, that out of New Plymouth that does um, tours around the Sugar Life Islands. I've um, been doing that for about three years now. And um, so that's sort of my, it's a bit of a seasonal job. Um, but yeah, we, I
0: suppose it's been a bit slow with COVID and stuff, but it's, hopefully is picking
1: up. Um, we had a really busy, um, during COVID and after COVID um, we had a lot of internal tourism and you know Taranaki is one of those places that's a destination in itself and you don't really go on the way to anywhere so a lot of people especially Aucklanders post COVID um, and after the Auckland lockdowns um, when they needed a place to get away um, our region down there really benefited and we were actually quite busy um around that time. Also a lot of schools who couldn't travel away for camps, um, who'd booked camps um, elsewhere. Um looked around to see what they could do locally and, and spend a lot of time um out with us on the boat. Fantastic. Go the neck. it's a great place. Mm. Um and
0: I'm interested when people come on the boat, how many are coming on because they know it's Carl Heyman ex all black's boat? How many get on and say, What the I know that guy. And how many have no idea and are just like, who's this tall
1: kind of bearded dude? Yeah, I think it's probably a bit of a mix, maybe um, a third, a third, and a third. I think there's uh, there's a few rugby um, fans out there that do recognise me um, behind the wheel. Um, yeah, there's... a few that are oblivious, and um, there are a few that are they're just there for a good day out on the sea, so. Fantastic. Well,
0: that's that's probably the most important thing. Well, you, you probably will recall, um, a wee while ago, we were actually about to do this uh, podcast, um, and you suffered a serious bike accident, I think the day or day before, um, we had to pull the pin on this, and fair enough too, I mean, it sounds it sounds like it was serious. Yeah, it was pretty serious.
1: Um, were you going fast or what? Yeah, I was going reasonably fast, and essentially the the front of the bike um, slid out from underneath me, and I hit the ground pretty hard. and broke my collarbone, was unconscious uh, when I was when I was found, and um, remember waking up in Whangarei uh, Base Hospital um, about four or five hours later. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a Bit of a close call, actually. Um, I was pretty hypothermic. Did it sort of buckle, or...? Uh, no, I just had a bit of water. Right, um, right. You know, a, I was on my road bike. Um, I was actually training for Ironman uh, Wales, which was next week. Um, and, yeah, since, since then I haven't really been able to do a whole heap, so I've pulled out of um, going over to do that. But... Um, Oh, so that's a yeah, bugger. No, you, no. Would, you
0: would have, because um, what would that have been? I read your book, great book, and we'll come to it head on. But um, would that have been your third Ironman?
1: Uh, that, More yeah, that. fourth. Um, a fourth Ironman event. So I've done two Ironmans and then a um, Kiwi Man, which is the Taranaki version of of Ironman. Um, up a, cycling up uh, all the mountain roads, and which is a pretty beautiful course, but. Um, so that's a bit of a, a, bit of a shame, but um, I'd spent a week in hospital um, and then just with trying to get my collarbone back moving again and it was just going to be too much um, too soon. So um, always next year. How's
0: your recovery now? Are any fist-lingering effects from the, the crash or you sort of back
1: bounce back? Yeah, I'll bounce back. I'm pretty good. You know, my shoulder's back, you know, I'm um, doing well and, yeah, still uh, – and I think just normally day to day, um, you know, just the concentration things with the brain anyway's, you know, quite difficult. So having another whack on the head is not no. not, not ideal. Um no. but yeah, I'm feeling a lot better fantastic. as time goes by. Oh, fantastic. I'm sorry you missed out on Wales. Um look, we we
0: we better talk a little bit of rugby because otherwise there'll be, you know, a lot of Kiwis will be sad about that. I mean you 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 played since you're young I think you you actually preferred cricket did you and and you made your parents proud and and you were good very good school club regional the Highlanders um and then of course the pinnacle of it all um you know here in New Zealand but actually globally probably as well the All Blacks um you were the thousandth so you think there's anything in that or not really
1: just a number I don't know it's it just sort of, um, it did literally. If I look back to it, Mark Ramby and myself were, um, two substitutes to go on, and we were both new All Blacks at that, that stage. And I think it was maybe they thought it'd be symbolic that two younger guys run on together, and it just ended up alphabetically that I ended up being the thousandth. Um, it's got a good ring to it. It does have a good ring to it, and I, I like to think of myself as one of many, but, um, I think I made my way onto a Spate's um, bottle top or somewhere along the way, like Who one was of those thousand? and thousands yeah, all black. Fantastic. But um, yeah, I think just to be part of that part of that group's amazing, and certainly more happy at the time just to be one of many. Yeah, amazing. I um, I laughed. I thought it was one of the um, a great part of, that,
0: of your book. You, you know, when you there were rumours and your dad was getting them from old. Um, Oh, what's his name, uh, Wayne? Uh, Gordon Hunter. Gordon Hunter, I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, and but he, he probably more than you, he didn't want to get his hopes up, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is so often the case with fathers and things like this. Not that mine would know. Yeah. But um, and, you know, it was it was back in the time of there were no smartphones or well, there were some phone, cell phones, but, you know, it wasn't like we've got now saturation of cell phones, Internet. So you were listening to the old wireless, the radio when you found out.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really remember it too well, to be honest. I, I, we were listening to something, the wireless or the, the TV, I can't quite remember, but we were all huddled around and I'd had a pretty good super rugby campaign and we sort of got an inkling that I might make it and I just sort of thought, oh, maybe I'm a bit young. or And yeah, my name got read out and, and it was obviously heaps of excitement and then I got a phone call straight away saying, oh, you need to get down to the, the leisure lodge, I think it was, in North Dunedin. So Kiwi. <laughs> and I was... Uh, didn't bother to get changed, I remember having a like an old woolen jersey, and a, my um Adidas had these sandals, and I had my socks on, so it was socks, sandals, shorts, and a, a woolen Hung- jersey. Little hungry shorts <laughs> too, I think. You know, it's um, it couldn't be more provincial, Kiwi, could it? Yeah, it was pretty gr- grassroots look. I'd like to like to
0: call it. It was grassroots. The other thing, um, you know, and I suppose you have a lot of views around being in the All Blacks, but. I, Reasonably early on into your, your um, all-black career, there was a bit where you sort of said it was a bit underwhelming, you know, unlike say the Highlanders, I think where you felt that there was a bit of a sense of family, you know, and the, the ABs, it's a bit more off the field at least, everyone's in it for, for themselves, is that, is that fair comment or back then?
1: I sort of, early on I think it was, it was certainly different, but that, like in and with regards to what you're saying, like I don't think there was that unity. We're talking like 2001. Yeah. Um, then again, when I was in the team in 2003, there was a real. It was quite provincial, and I think the team sort of reflected that a wee bit as well in terms of some of the selections. There was a lot of, not would say bias, but certainly a disproportionate number of players from regions around New Zealand, and I think it's. Uh, some people from the outside might say it didn't reflect uh, what an all-black team should look like stereotypically that you're the best from all around the country and it, it tended to favor some unions more than others but I think from you know from especially from 2004 there was a real focus on you know team and the different cultures where people come from and I think Gilbert Anoka did a fantastic job in terms of pulling that all together with the you know with the coaches and you know digging into that some of the, some of that stuff and and talking about it as a group and you know acknowledging the history of the all blacks but then at the same time for us to be able to feel that we can put our own stamp on things and that we can we don't have to be sort of bound by that history or fearful and we can go and create our own history as our own team and i think as we put more and more time into that although it didn't end great for us in terms of winning a World Cup. We had a really successful period of at least three or four years there with the Lions Tour and that was um, that was really successful and probably laid the groundwork for the eventual 2011 World Cup win to some extent that we went through that loss in 07 and people were kept on, um, you know, the coaching staff and that Everyone learnt from, you know, what what went wrong um, instead of the usual practice which happened after World Cup is that, you know, coaches got fired and it was like, let's look for something else and there was some continuity in New Zealand rugby um, which I think has served served it well. I'm going to ask you some, I
0: don't think, not unfair, but, you know, you feel free to pass on them if you say, nah, don't, don't want it. But, but just a few rugby ones. And firstly, I presume you still keep an eye on it we've got a rugby world cup coming up in france Paris, uh, and you know a bit about france yeah. uh, and the french and their style of rugby um what's the ab's form like do you reckon and um yeah you got a
1: how do you see it going um i think i've been encouraged by the um recent form of of the all blacks yeah. like to some extent you know the the game against um you know south africa here um, was a you know a strong strong performance and yeah, they have been under some pressure. You know, public pressure, um, there's been, a, I think, a poorly handled coaching issue where I think that whole situation has been handled pretty poorly leading into a World Cup. But, you know, I, I think it's a nice position for them to be in now. They go with, you would say, not huge expectations like they would have in the, in the past, um, although it is an all-black team. You know, you, people are saying, you know, the France, the islands and... These um, European teams, uh, people are talking about them. So you know, I think it's a nice place for for the All Blacks to be and to go over there. To um, I'd say there's that weight off, off their shoulders. You know, the last World Cup um, didn't go so well, so there's no pressure to, to win it win again. Or and you know, if I was in that team, you go with yes, yes, some public expectation. That everyone wants them to do well, but there's. Are in for me quite a nice position, yeah. No, absolutely. I was, um,
0: I won't say who because it was, I think, as they say, Chatham House rules. I was at a little thing with a very, very famous, uh, former All Black, and uh, his view was there's four teams French, Irish, South Africans, All Blacks. So he didn't have the Aussies in there, despite um. Shag helping them a little bit at the moment, uh, so so there, there you go. Is that would that be kind of your four?
1: Yeah, that's my four. I don't know whether Shag could be a double agent though, working <laughs> for the Aussies.
0: Well, I see he's not getting paid, so it's not a. You know, this it's, it's charity um, begins at home or whatever they say. <laughs> hey, I said I was going to ask um, some unfair ones, not unfair ones, but if you think back on it, your highlight is in all black. You think of sort of a time or a game or a season.
1: Highlight the Grand Slam. That we won. I could probably can't think of the year off the top of my head, but you know, those Grand Slam tours were a real highlight. And also the, the build up around that Lions series in 05, 90, 04, 05 I can't remember what those day, lions, but, <laughs> those Lions series are amazing, aren't and, they? And, um, just Adidas was sponsor of both teams and they got right in behind the publicity. We did a big ad campaign in London in, after the summer tour or the November tour over there. And yeah, it was just so much hype building up to the Lions tour. And, and I sadly only got to be part of the first test in my leg. I got an infected toe and septicemia up my leg. Yes. <laughs> and um, So I missed the last two. But... That was amazing to be part of and, and just the, the the supporters and the way the country sort of took people in and that was an amazing um, rugby spectacle. I'm, I'm not
0: asking you for the best or anything, but, you know, you think about your your former uh, all-black uh, teammates. I mean, you got any favourites there? And, and, and a different question, are there any there that you keep in touch with now?
1: Yeah, there's a few. Um, obviously, my front row mates were we created pretty... Um, good bond with, yeah Andrew Hoare, um, and Tony Woodcock. You know, I, Woody, I spent a lot of time, we used to scrum against each other at training. And um, I can't remember, is it Barbara Streisand, or whoever the singer is that sings that song, Memories? Oh, the, I, I, don't, I don't know who Well, you're a musician. You can give it I to can't. me. I <laughs> can't. And um, anyway, we, so we used to sing this song to each other, because it was like we used to pack down that many scrums against each other at training. But hey, you create some great bonds with these guys, and um, we probably don't spend enough time together, to be honest. No, I think it's after, funny, after, isn't it? After rugby, everyone's got their own, doing their own thing, and life sort of takes over. And It's uh, a period
0: of time when you spend all that time with someone or a group of mates, and then not much at all. Yeah. What about, same sort of question, but what about coach? I'm not asking you for the best. I'm just saying, you know, your sort of favourite, the one you... Because, uh, you know, you walk, walk with a lot. I mean, Laurie Main, who you, you know, you said in the, your book, you know, got a bit of a hard time. He's a real hard man, and it, uh, he didn't like cheese much, Tane Randall eating the cheese pizza <laughs> b- before a game. But, um, in fact, he got apoplectic on that. Um, you seem to have quite a bit of time for Ted, uh, you know, Graham Henry and and, uh, and Steve Hansen. But, anyway, I don't mean to answer it for you. Yeah. What do
1: you say? Yeah, I, I think a lot of coaches sort of had a, a different impression on me, and also helped shape me as a as a player. And um, if I look back, like the you know to Laurie, early, like Tony Gilbert as well, who was um you know was a real facilitator, but a lovely, honest man who could get the best out of his out of his players. Then Laurie, he knew how he wanted to run the game, isn't based on a big physical, a lot of physical dominance, and and I realised that you couldn't, apparently you couldn't die at rugby practice because there's a valve in your heart that would just keep keep opening and so no matter how tired you were, you just keep getting up and that sort of, you know, that stuck with me. He was him. a real disciplinarian. Yeah, and he was tough, you know, and the teams he coached were, were tough teams and they probably lacked a little bit of the finer details probably, um, you know, I remember talking to a lot of Canterbury guys and they said, hey, you know, knew when you are playing, I'd Otago the Highlanders when Laurie was coaching because you knew what was coming and providing you could stop what was coming um, you know you'd be in with a chance to to win the game whereas you know I think the Crusaders are in Canterbury teams at that time and had probably a little bit more attention to to detail and the little finer points but certainly some very tough you know rugby teams because it's a tough environment and then I think you know the all-black timer Wayne Smith also stood out for me as like a, a you know a, a great tactician and a great rugby mind, and he could relay things so well to the players in a way that was simple. Just really understood the game. Didn't wasn't overly you know complicated, but just some real good fundamentals. And I'd say from a you know attack point of view, he'd be the best coach I've had in terms of um, you know just understanding a game and, yes. and and relaying you know, as real key points to two players. I obviously had a real good relationship with Mike Cron as well, who came into my career when I was um, a bit raw, um, had a lot of natural abilities in terms of strength and, you know, didn't have a lot of technical um, know-how. So, yeah, there's a, certainly a lot of people, which I'm very grateful for during my career,
0: who had an influence. Yeah, it's a great cast of people. I, I must admit, reading your book, I... I'd actually forgot Wayne Smith had been the, the full coach. Um, and, uh, you know, it was good to see him get a, a knighthood uh, re- recently. I think that's, that's very much uh, deserved. Um, of, of course, from the All Blacks, you went on and played professionally in Newcastle in the UK and, um, and Toulon, France, and and you stayed longer than you intended. Um, and p- part, part of that seems to me just, it was... You had a family to set up and, you you know, you are earning big money. And in fact, the headlines, and I know it was a bit more complicated than this, but you were the highest paid rugby player in the world, yeah. according to those those headlines.
1: Yeah, it was, um, yeah, there was. there's a few things why I didn't come back. If I'm really honest, I didn't leave with the best taste in my mouth from New Zealand. You know, I felt in that period leading up to 07, like I'd given... I'd given all I could to like New Zealand rugby, and I was so into making that team. Obviously, we didn't win the World Cup, but you know, for those that amount of time, there was a real drive to to get there. I found, I found a little bit. I felt that how my departure from New Zealand rugby was handled probably didn't reflect what I thought I'd given to the team. I like just around mainly, there some of the comments from New Zealand rugby around. Oh, we offered him a farm to stay, which wasn't entirely true but it was a play on what was actually happening at the time like I talked about going back to Taranaki and they said the MPC union said well, if you want to come back we'll lease you some land so you can get yourself going on a, on a farm and a, a lease of farm back then was probably about 60 or 70,000 uh, a year which would have fallen in line with what an MPC contract was but you know, the, the discussions coming out of New Zealand rugby saying, oh, you know, we tried to make him stay. We tried to offer him a farm. And so for the, that was in, like, January and February when I decided to sign overseas. So for the whole that whole season, I was just getting bombed with oh, it. It wouldn't have been easier to take the farm and stay in New Zealand. And it sort of portrayed me as in a light that I didn't really appreciate. And um, so I left with a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth around that. And then when I was looking to return um it was like oh we won't take you for more than like a two or three year deal Mm. and i said look i don't want a two or three year deal in new zealand um i wanted wanted to come back play a super campaign if i was good enough to be in the all blacks um i'd be selected if i wasn't then that would be fine and that was that was on me and that's where the sort of communications broke down and then the offer to come to toulon came up it was a a good three-year deal i was you know Probably only going to get one more chance at a, another contract after that. And that's how the decision came about. I also spent, you know, with my wife at the time. We did a bit of a holiday in the off season down the French coast in an it's old, a good. An combi, old, was old it? combi that I've Wonderful. still got over there. <laughs> and uh, we parted our way down the French coast eating, eating baguettes and cheese. And I was doing a bit of surfing at the time and just thought, I, oh, you know, this is, this would be a pretty cool place to come and play. Yeah, uh, no, it's, um, it's quite interesting how many. Um, Former top um, Kiwi
0: sportsmen, All Blacks, and the like um, do end up in that part of the world. I think it's the you get the taste of it, you know, touring over there. And uh, no, it's it's understandable. Of course, um, one thing that was far from good about rugby was the the repetitive, you know, brutal nature of the contact. And I look at you, actually, and I don't know if I'm saying the wrong thing to you, but you know, and you look good, you're, you're fit, and but you know, your nose. You know your ears. I can't see your ears right now because you've got <laughs> headphones on. I mean they 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 show a guy who has played a uh, a, heck, a heck of a lot of of contact sport. Um, you know what we know now is you've been diagnosed with early onset dementia and, and probably um, or probable chronic traumatic. Let me see if I can say this right. Encephalopathy. Yeah. How do Can a you t- say it better than me? Inseptaloph- Inseptaloph- of it. in, uh, it's <laughs> a CTE for short.
1: Yeah, we'll go with CTE.
0: Is rugby the central cause of those things?
1: Yeah, excuse me. In my view, uh, yeah, in a short version. Yeah, I think there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of discussion around, oh, there's, we need more research and there's other things involved. and So there is a lot of information swirling around out there. You know, I think when you look at people who've researched this properly and i'm talking you know boston brain bank who have been dealing with um, contact sport athletes for a long period of time and just what they're discovering in in these brains of of people was um which is cte to varying levels between i think you know it goes on a one two three and four stage level so and just the the thought of you know repetitively banging your head to the number of times that we have. It just, it's like, yes, there are other things that can have an effect, but that in itself is not great for your your brain. Mm. And and so, yeah, I just, I think though, there's obviously the unions have got a vested interest and they're saying they want to protect players and that they need more research. I think there's been a lot of research there for a number of years, you know, and we can't keep hiding behind, this you know and it's time to i'd love to see rugby just put their hand up and go you know what we're sorry that this is this has happened and the game can move on because this has just been a a real black spot on the game like it's Mm. been a dark you know Mm. it's brought the game a lot of negative publicity it's turned people off to some extent you know um so it'd be great to say hey yep let's educate some people and let's put some real robust stuff in place so that people are protected and at the back end of rugby that they they have a support network they have people to call they have people who because even in my case there's a lot of stuff I can still do to make sure I can have a productive day I've got to be aware of that I've only got so much gas for the day once that's gone it's not great but you know I can manage that and I can still be productive um so you know how do we inform people and put support around them so I, um, I wanted to ask the question here for you, but I obviously
0: agree with you. I mean, uh, we, we know the MRI scans and your diagnosis show brain, brain bleeds, irreversible um, brain damage. Um, and, and I think, we you know, as your book makes clear, and I've just written this down, is you know, in layman's terms, you were throwing your head and neck into scrums and scrum machines each time pushing the soft jelly of your brain into the wall of your skull and doing... Damage, you know, slowly but surely over what? Thousands of
1: times, right? Yeah, I would, yeah, but in a scrum machine, like, I'd, I'd hate to do the sums on, you know, how many scrums per week. And
0: I think someone did for me. I think it's 150,000 roughly knocks to the head. And the the, the physical effects, I'm not going to go on, but and the mental effects are undeniable. I mean, you poor memory, hard to concentrate, ability to kind of, you know, m- moodiness crushing headaches, I was struck by some of your stories, um, you tried to get your kid a passport, you couldn't remember his name yeah, um, you're driving somewhere and, um, and as a son of a father who's now passed who had dementia, you know, saw this in him actually and you don't know where you're going um, how is it for you right now or by much I mean not right this second but you know currently, how 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 is it sort of How's it going on this? Um,
1: if I can call it a journey, but a journey. yeah, oh, it is a journey, and it's a day by day journey. It's um, how's it going now? There's good days and bad days. Uh, it's um, but it's you know trying to plan and trying to have regular breaks, and the big thing for me has been accepting it. You know, and um, I bet I lived in denial for ages, and and you know, there's still part of me that is a bit that way, um, especially around working and. I was always a hard work like you know. probably saw it through my parents when i grew up like working on the farm that you know you go and do a good day's work and and i took that sort of work ethic into my rugby and now i'm at that point where hey i can't carry on like that because i just don't have the physically i'm okay but i just don't have the mental energy to sustain a whole day of mental stimulation whether it's just conversations or so yeah accepting that was really hard and it really affected probably my self-confidence for a start just because especially coming from a high level sporting environment now i have like i don't really have a sense of achievement or you know what's a successful day for me now um, compared to what it was maybe five or six years ago or even longer so just accepting that's been been quite hard for me now, it's about planning. It's about small little windows during the day where I'm productive, and and trying to stick to that the best I can. And that's that's a big big tick box for for me at the moment. So also sort of makes you realise what's important and um, kids and family and relationships and and stuff like that. So yeah, there's it's it's been tough, but there's also been heaps of positive. Like trying to look at the positives of it, you know that there's still Positivity, there's still things I can do despite being a little bit restricted, and that's how I I have to look at it anyway. If you don't have time to read the in depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, the Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you.
0: I feel like it's sort of artificial not to just mention this. I mean, of course, part of your story with the, 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 the early dementia and CTE is alcoholism. You know, you're self-medicating effectively. You went into rehab here and in, 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 in uh, uh, the Northern Hemisphere, domestic violence. Um, you lost a marriage. Um, you know, at times you've been suicidal. So the question is this. Um. On the alcohol specifically, which, you know, can't have helped any of the other stuff, um, and you know, would have been part of it. Um, you, you were so as um as you know, some of the some of the people who wrote the the nice words in, in the book sort of said, um, you've been so honest about this. I mean, you you are still, you know, in in quotes, an alcoholic. I mean, you you battled with this, you got on the wagon, got off the wagon. Where, where are you at with that now?
1: Yeah, I'm um I'm doing well at the moment. I I've, I've realised for a long time that alcohol can't be a part of my life anymore. And anyone who's suffered with addiction problems know that sometimes that can be a daily a daily struggle. You know, and especially for me with what's going on, also in my brain, it, it just exaggerates. It just exaggerates everything. Like everything gets worse, memory loss gets worse, and um, there's so many negative things to you know what alcohol would compound the state at where my my brain's at at the moment in terms of that it's a it's a real daily a daily thing for me it's just and just stay sober for today um and let's attack tomorrow tomorrow um but i i am i'm certainly aware of my my issues um with with alcohol and i'm doing i do my best to seek support you know through other people and to eliminate that from from life, at, you know as much as I can, uh, you know. Your, your honesty is
0: amazing about it, and I I um I don't think you would try and put all the blame on rugby, right? So I'm not suggesting that, but but you do say um, in the book, you know, it, the rugby culture at the time, at a level, certainly the earlier part of your career, train hard, play hard, reward hard, right on the piss. Yeah. Do you, do you think the culture's better now? Oh, it's
1: certainly changed a lot. Um, and, yeah, going back to our early days, it was exactly that. It was um, – I remember my first coach at Southern saying, I'm going to tell you some advice for your career. And he said, train hard, drink hard, and win hard games of rugby. Mm. And that was like a kid coming out of high school. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, is that? How it works here. and And it was, you know – and to some extent it was it was fun you know it was um manly you know it was like train hard and you know go out and get into your rugby and running into people and just, you know getting smashing people getting smashed um and then afterwards like you know and i knew some people that just played just so they could go out on saturday night <laughs> that's what it sort of was you know and I think a lot of guys, and no one poured it down our throats, eh? although they probably tried through gumboots and shoes and various things at the time, some of the Dunedin scarfy antics. But, you know, we all had decisions that we could make. But I look back now and I see a number of, even a number of my mates um, from that era who have had various, you know, issues, and a lot of them are publicly make their way into the into the media over time, but certainly a lot of people that struggle to jump off that bandwagon. And I guess I, I was um, one of them to, to some extent, and now, you know, I remember talking to a few of my mates in the All Blacks after I'd left, and they said, look, um, back when we were touring, it was like, who wants to go for a beer at, at the pub, like, we're, say, we're in London um, midweek. And it was nothing massive, but we'd just go down and have a couple of beers, have a yarn, and, and go back to the hotel. Back then, there might have been, you know, two or three players that that didn't drink, and now, um, and he said when he retired, um, it was almost the other way in the All Blacks. It was like there was a handful of guys that would like to go to the pub for a beer midweek, and a large majority of the team um, didn't choose to socialize in that way so there's certainly a a change of attitudes over especially from from our era where it was was completely different you've um
0: I suppose an ultimate question on a a heap of the things we've talked about you know you've got so much from the game of rugby you know money fame whether you think that's a good thing or not but this is generally famous this podcast so we you know we we like fame Uh, (laughs) friends travel, but you've lost it so much as well. If, if you could turn back the clock, would you? I mean, do, do, do you
1: regret all that rugby? Um, do I regret it? Um, if I knew what I know now, I think I would have called time on my career earlier. Um, I I just didn't know what was ahead of me. And that's part of the reason for doing head-on in the in the book was like, you know, I think there just needs to be, and there is more and more awareness for players, and I think we're starting to see players calling time on their careers earlier because they're aware of their health. And but yeah, you're right. Gave me some great memories. You know, right through my life, friends. I was never fame didn't really bother me. It actually was probably the opposite. I just liked to be left alone and do my thing. And um, it certainly wasn't a reason for me playing rugby. It's certainly a um, interesting question and um, especially my days in Toulon like that I experienced um, that for anyone who doesn't know like French rugby Toulon's a, a rugby mad town and we were just living this dream essentially of in a rugby mad city winning European Cups and, and the French title and those memories are, are amazing but yeah sometimes I do question now where I'm at with my health was it worth it? And I guess I, I, to really dodge your question, I'm sort of stuck in the middle. Right, (laughs) Um, right. You know, because there was so much. Well, that's an answer. There was was so much good stuff, um, you know, but. Um, I, I think, um, I mean,
0: look, you've been so generous, Tom. i got a thousand things I'm not going to, I was going to talk to you about your love of farming. I know you're a farm boy at heart, hunt, hunting, um, some of the great walks you've done in Corsica and Nepal and other places, Iron Ironmans, your legendary guitaring. You, 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 you've been part of a, a, a global, I think, um,
1: class action court case. Is that still going on or how's that, do you know? Yeah, it's still going on in the, um, it's, it's, progressing at the moment so I think there's I don't know too much about the ins and outs of it, but I know it is progressing along and there's been a, a little bit of dialogue between all of the parties involved so because I think it,
0: what I took from the your, your, your book head on um, was what needs to happen really and you've said it yourself you know too many games so the, the lower the volume uh, in professional um, contact sport and, and you know there's things that can be done about the contact actually um, is that kind of is that what needs to happen or would you put it differently or
1: yeah I my where I stand on this I think education is is the first thing um you know we just need just need to educate people at, at all levels of the game um, of you know what the potential risks are um, I think on the on the back of that it's what is you know? Let's get a group together. What's a safe amount of games for these guys to, and girls to play? You know, where does that look? What does it look like? Then how do we how do we fit a, a international calendar into that? Um, so we don't have players coming out of Super Rugby competitions, then playing essentially an All Black season, then playing, um, then coming back and then going on an India tour. It's like where's the it's, and it's a great time, I think, for rugby to address some of these issues and then come out the other end with a product which is far superior to um, the current product. And I think it's a really exciting time where instead of having the, the denial and the status quo, well, let's you know, let's put our heads together. Um, so to speak. <laughs> so to yeah. speak. In a non-contact in way. In a non-contact course, right? way. And and really discuss and and nut this out so you know broadcasters are satisfied that you know they've got rugby and meaningful games and certain slots and players had an have an adequate um, rest period of you know an off season and breaks during that and whether that means bigger bigger squads um, whether that means you know what that looks like there's so many little things that we can do to help um, the players in terms of minimising the repetition that they're exposed to of um, of not just head injuries but just knocks uh, and that's was the real blow for me was the repetitive nature of these injuries over time it wasn't the fact I got knocked out all the time and got back on the field and it was just I was getting every week for 10 months a year for nearly 20 years I was just getting um, constantly banged around and, and my head was getting banged around so and we have those discussions. And on the back end of that, just support support for, for people who need it and having a clear line of, especially for families as well, like this affects families and support people as well. I, I've met a lot of a generation of All Blacks who played, um, you know, in the 70s and early 80s. Talk to them about how their lives are now living with dementia and how they're so reliant on on family members to be, Um, caregivers and that's um, I think that's tough and I I think you know on the back end of people's careers because those guys have added to the brand of New Zealand rugby as well you know they've paved the way for a professional game and and now there's a lot of people out there who are struggling for for support so I think they're the sort of main areas I'd like to see is you know education um, big discussions in the game around how we can minimize risks to players um, then on the back end of that, like a real robust support network. So, um, you know, once players finish their careers, they have access to to be able to be tested. You know, to be able to be looked at. One of the reasons I joined a legal the legal action overseas is because I couldn't get anywhere in New Zealand to to see someone. You know, I went through I went through my GP. I went to ACC. They said, we decline your claim because we need more information. And so I was like, well, on the other hand, there's someone in the UK telling me, get yourself to UK and we'll put you through all the testing. We'll get your brain scanned and and we'll get some answers for you. So if I'm here sitting in this position, you know, having headaches and forgetting stuff and being generally irritable um, with no real cause behind it and trying to live my life and then, Which road, you know, it's pretty easy to which road most people are going to take. So, I think there needs to be something done about those those access ways to for people to see trained um, professionals and specialists. Thank you.
0: Do you you think you mentioned denial before? Do you think NZ Rugby
1: is capable of being up for this? I I hope so. Um, I think it's the right thing to do. You know, I think the more it gets kicked down the road the more it's going to drag on and there'll be more stories coming out. Like I'm not, the, I'm the tip of the ice, iceberg or, you know, one of them. There's, you know, you've seen a few articles recently of a generation older than me, uh, Bruce Robinson, Yatane Norton, you know, and I think slowly the scary thing for mm. our generation is the knocks that we're taking. We now play 10 months a year, mm. um, whereas that older generation, they might have had a few rough training runs during the week but essentially their season was six months six months a year so you know what is what does it look like for my generation when we're in our 60s um and that's you know that's a bit of a scary question to ask
0: you've been on treatments i mean, been why you remember one you said made your um p turn blue which meant you couldn't wee on the seat anymore <laughs> um not that you or i would do that but um I just wanted to end with a bit, bit of hope really if the is the medical science and the treatment you know g- g- getting somewhere is that is that and has it helped you is it helping you now
1: yeah yeah it is um if I look at where I was at um probably a year and a half ago um, you know i've I've since um been to mexico of and and you know there there are treatments on the horizon, and there's a lot of companies investing money into technology and also medication that can slow. I guess that the, the it's in an early stage yet, so you know it's probably not my place to say too much about it. But there is stuff on the on the horizon, and I certainly found benefits from. Especially in my sleep, I'd never had an issue sleeping in my life. And when I played rugby, I think all the trainers used to go because we had to fill in these things about sleep. And they're like, "Do you know that you sleep probably about two or three hours more than any other person <laughs> during the week?" But I got to a stage a while ago I couldn't I couldn't sleep. I'd be up at two or three in the morning and and just couldn't go. But couldn't get to sleep. Headaches. Um, Djokovic you know, I, mean, I read this thing yeah. about
0: Djokovic the tennis player obviously and he um, he, he reckons sleep was the most important thing in his regime more important than the stretching and the several other things right yeah. he was completely um, fixated on getting I think it's eight and a
1: half hours sleep yeah yeah and, and it's such a you know and I, I found after the treatment I certainly was I was sleeping better I had less you know a lot of the symptoms had 't gone away but certainly not as strong. So you know I think for people out there who are having issues um, that there is there is hope out there there's stuff on the horizon that's that's coming in the pipeline and um, I think that gives people a lot of a lot of or can give people that you know there is things on the way
0: All right let's wrap up asking the questions I ask every guest. We call this section general knowledge. Um, they are ridiculous. If you have to pass on any, I'll, I'll forgive you. Um, if you could be somebody else for a day, who would you be? Um,
1: what about the guy that won 38 million or whatever a few, a few <laughs> days ago? <laughs>
0: Going
1: to be him. Um, I was thinking actually my dog. Um, he's, he gets pretty well fed and he gets to run around and
0: life's good. Life's pretty Simple. good. He gets a tummy rub. Well, let's go straight to, given that you've got $38 million, this one, if money was no object,
1: what are the first three things you'd buy? Yeah, I'm not, probably, it's a hard one for me, because I live quite a simple existence. <laughs> I still drive around in my 92 Nissan Patrol that I brought about 20-something years ago, so um whether I'd buy a new car, I don't know, it'd be... I'd really feel like I'm cheating on my old patrol if I brought a new car. Yeah, so probably a, Yeah. Um probably some simple things. Probably buy a boat. Um, or another boat. Um maybe a decent tractor. And probably a wood splitter.
0: About <laughs> it's a fairly Kiwi provincial Kiwi answer. The right there, Carl Heyman,
1: and probably give a bit of it away to people who need it. Good on you. Well, look, thing. I'm I'm sitting right across from yeah. you,
0: so don't don't feel bad about that. What what can you think of your most embarrassing moment?
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't I was quite lucky in my rugby career, did not to have. You said a pants split. Pants split. Oh, or? actually, once I was playing at. um Millennium Stadium for the Barbarians against Wales, and um, these Barbarians weeks are quite hard case weeks. And the um, he was pl- I, on the field right, and I had the ball under here, and someone had tackled me, but they'd, um, they've got the back of my jersey, and so I've sort of trying to go. Imagine me going backwards, but trying to go forward so i'm sort of And here this guy's got my jersey and he rips it up over my head and it comes off my arms but the ball's like inside the jersey (laughs) so then i'm left standing in the middle of cardiff stadium with like no jersey on and the ball's like wrapped up in my jersey and the referee's like um oh i'm gonna have to blow this and like have a have a a scrum (laughs) (laughs)
0: brilliant my uh my my eight-year-old son just got detention for um Encouraging group of his mates to um, stick their jerseys over their heads and walk around with them at the interval. But anyway, um, what famous, which famous actor would play you in the movie of your life?
1: Yeah, this is an interesting one. I um, I loved eighties like action films, so I think you'd have to work on his accent. But maybe I'd say Arnold. I can see it. He's still going strong. Yeah. He's probably a bit of an inspiration, actually. He's still, uh, still got it. He's
0: still got it. He's yeah. like in his 70s or whatever. Um, I think he, I think he's like mid to late. He's old. Yeah. He's properly old. What's the strangest tradition
1: in your family? Have you got any? No, uh, we don't have too many. Um, it's not really strange, probably, about rural New Zealand, but probably just having too much food around the yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone caters for about three days worth of food for a dinner, and especially around Christmases. And you're back from Boxing Day, and then you're coming back uh, the day after Boxing Day. But that's not really that strange. I think or I remember I mean. you saying
0: that your late mother used to. You know, it was like, um, you know, farm production li- line, right? She had to feed the human livestock. Yeah, and uh, that probably did you no harm. Um, if you could choose to stop ageing at any age, which would you choose?
1: Um probably quite young I reckon I've you know been looking into especially myself recently and just thinking a lot about um I think when we're young we um and you're just a kid like you're you're being and you you're you know you're just playing and you're essentially having fun and then as life goes on sort of life takes over and then it's uh but I think the freedom of being at that age and you essentially got every, well, normally, not the same for everyone, but, you know, I was lucky we had, you know, we had three meals a day. We had, you know, we had a few toys and we had, had things. So, you know, um, and then you get into this treadmill of life where, you know, it's about your job or it's about, you know, the stresses of life. And I think at that age, you're just free to totally to do. And I think that's a... Yeah, no cool um,
0: mindset. I don't I'm know. just picturing you with that brown jersey, those hungry shorts, and
1: those <laughs> so- white socks and daddy desk uh, jandals. Mate, I was Mr. Muscle Open I was <laughs> <No>, second. <laughs> remember 1984? Like, that was my uh, like glory days, you know. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, Carl Heyman,
0: thank you so much for telling an important story um, with integrity and honesty and a bit of humour as well. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Simon. You've been listening to Generally Famous Stuff Podcast. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous or wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, if you follow us on Apple or Spotify, any of the podcast apps, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Sounds good, right? Thanks to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black, and audio editor John Ruppihar. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our Mahi and visit stuff.co.nzslash support.